into that. Pardon me? All right. I got Jesus. Who would want more? God, we are overwhelmed with your grace, in love with your spirit, empowered by your word. And we look forward to what you're going to say to us today. We couldn't ask for more than who you are. And what you've done for us. Lord, I get right back to the moment I embraced you as Savior when I heard that song this morning. I thank you for allowing me the privilege of being your child. as We've already sung and declared. We look forward to what you're going to say to us today. We're delighted by the power of your word. Teach us. Help us not just to hear a sermon or to even read scripture. But to embrace truth that will change our lives and change those around us. This really has that much power. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Good morning. Good to have you this morning. Delighted to have you here at Community Alliance Church. I'm going to text some of your memory here this morning. But do you remember being in high school? Now, for those of us here this morning, that's a long journey back. You remember being in high school and the teacher would say a statement like this. I need to go to the principal's office. And while I'm out of the room, I want you to what? Behave, stay in your seats, do your homework, catch up on the next assignment. I'm going to leave the room for a while, and while I'm gone, these are the things that I want you to do. How many of you behaved? How many of you did not? All right, that's honest. That's what I want this morning, an honest answer to an honest question. You know as well as I do, every once in a while, somebody that's in authority over our lives leaves and we have a choice to make. Am I going to respond to what I know to do? Am I going to do the right thing or am I not? All of us have been in those situations where we had believed in our hearts that we would do the right thing and then when the challenge came or the test came, we may have gone another direction. You know before, I've said it to you a hundred times, I grew up on a dairy farm. I love being in that environment. We worked hard. I mean, we worked really hard. I know I've told you before, when Dan would go away to town, he would give us a list of chores, and we would try to do the best we could to get them done until he returned, goofing off as long as we could, knowing that we could time it when he returned. Now, I know I've told you all that before. I promised myself years ago that I wouldn't want to be one of those old pastors who repeated their stories over and over again. And so I don't. I've never told you that before. And I'm not an old pastor. I remember one time, though, we were cleaning out brush from another area, and he had cut himself pretty severely with a chainsaw. Now, you know as well as I do, you usually don't win when you fight a battle against a chainsaw. Cut his arm pretty severely. He wrapped the tile, or in most cases, it was probably a dirty old rag, around it, got on the tractor, drove home, got in the car, drove back up to where we were, and said, look, I want to make sure that's all done before I get back. I've got to go to the doctor and get this stitched up. Now, the rag's already soaked with blood, but he still wanted to make sure he came back and gave us our assignment. Then he drove himself to the doctor, still driving back before he went home to see if we got it accomplished. That's a lot of weight and a lot of pressure on you when you know that person in authority over you goes away. Doesn't every parent hope that when you leave for the night or leave for the weekend or go away on a vacation, that when you return home, the house hasn't been on fire, right? I mean, isn't that what you hope? We're in Portland, Oregon. One of my girls calls me up and says, I need you to know we caught the house on fire. (laughs) We had a fire in the living room. 
I was so frustrated that I hung up the phone. <laughs> and I told my wife what had happened. She said, are the kids okay? How do I know? They must be. One of them called me. <laughs> so I called back to find out what happened. I'd rather not have known. What about when your kids grow up? Don't you hope they can make it on their own? I mean, there are times you want to scoot them out the door faster than they're ready to go, and there are times that they want to stay longer than you want them to stay. And there are times they think they're ready more than you, and there are times that you think they're more ready than they do. But i got to believe that you have that plan in your life that when your kids come to a certain point, you want them to be ready to make it on their own. If you're still working in any environment, the question always comes up in a context like this. Do you work any differently when the boss is there watching over you or when they're away? This morning we're going to finish the last few verses of Philippians chapter 1 beginning in verse 27 and move in to chapter 2. Paul has been answering a couple of questions. What Dave alluded to this morning was powerful because he's sharing from the book of Acts. Paul's writing about the Philippian church, what it was like when he was in jail. He's answering a couple of questions now later in his life in a Roman jail to the Philippians who want to know, Paul, how are you doing? And how's your ministry going? You felt called by God. You didn't want to stay here forever. You called by God to take the gospel of Christ to the end of the earth. How's it going? And how are you doing? Because we kind of heard you're in jail. Paul himself is debating about his own future. He says to them, I just need you to know, I may not be able to come back. I'd love to come back and see how you're doing. I'd love to know that you're growing in the faith. I'd love to be there to help you grow in the faith. But to be honest with you, I don't know if I'm going to make it back. And to be really honest with you, I don't even know how long I'm going to live on this earth. If I had my choice, he said, there's a lot of me that would just love to go and see Jesus. But there's also a part of me that really wants to stay and help the church go. Either way... Philippians 1, verse 27. You're there now. It's going to be on the screen, but if you have your Bibles, I'd love you to read it. Either way, if I had a choice, I'd prefer to stay and help you. But either way, whatever happens, verse 27, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I'll know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Now I'm going to jump ahead to Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, now that will make a whole lot of sense that therefore always is in light of what I just said. That it will make an enormous amount of sense next Sunday morning as we celebrate communion out of the first half of chapter 2. But these two pieces tie together. Therefore, my dear friend, Paul loves them. As you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything. This is one of the hard verses to live out. Do everything without complaining or arguing. So that you become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. As you hold out the word of life, he finishes in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. Paul invested his life in these people. He wants to know, are you getting this? 
As a parent, don't you want to know your kids are getting what you're sharing? That they understand the truth. That they, I just want to know that you understood what I invested in you. I want to know how you're doing. I want to know that you're living it out on a regular basis. Paul is essentially saying, whether I'm there or not, whether I'm watching over you, whether I come back to see how you're doing, I want you to live in such a way that you stand in stark contrast to the depravity you see in the world around you. How many believe that we are living in a crooked and diverse generation? <laughs> when you read that section, I read that, he wrote that 2,000 years ago. And when you read that section of scripture, and I read it again this week, I was gone all week, and I pulled it out again yesterday, and I had this verse running in my head, a crooked and depraved generation. Paul said, how would you know what we were going to be like in 2018? Paul said, I just want you to shine like stars in the universe. I want you to stand in such stark contrast to the dark world around you that everyone who looks at you, everyone who sees you, recognizes you're a follower of Jesus. I can see it on you. You're so different from the world around you. You shine. You feel that? I mean, that's what he's trying to say. When Jesus appeared in the flesh... It had been predicted, they waited for hundreds of years. And all of a sudden, God himself shows up. We'll celebrate it in Christmas in a few weeks. A few weeks for Christmas? Are you kidding me? That can't be right. It's longer than that, right? It's about seven months from now. <laughs> Jesus shows up. And John had been writing about him and had told us the story. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was was God, and that word came and made his tabernacle among us. He dwelt among us. When John writes, as well as John the Baptist preaches, he talks about this coming Jesus, and he calls him the light of the world. And when he actually shows up to be baptized, John the Baptist, he's pointing back his whole crowd around him, and John goes, there he is, that, that's him. That's the one I've been telling you about, the light of the world. Jesus begins in Matthew to preach one of his very first sermons, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. He never called it that. We call the Sermon on the Mount, and he made an unbelievable transition in the end of Matthew chapter 5, or in the middle of chapter chapter 5, and he said, you are the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. And I've often wondered what it was like for anybody who heard, especially whether it would be John or John the Baptist, hearing, wait, we are. No, you are. You're the light of the world. You're this world's only hope. And Jesus looks at us and looks at all humanity down through time and looks at those that were sitting there that day and said, you are. You're the light of the world. You are this world's hope. That's a lot of weight. You talk about all the things that parents tell you to do before they come back or, and all of that and the weight that goes with us sometimes. When Jesus said, you and I are the light of the world, he wasn't just referring to those that were sitting there that day who heard the sermon. He knew that his word was going to get down through time. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He knew that word was going to get down through time and he was going to point to us and say, look, 2018, the United States is going to be in a situation where for those of us who are believers saying, oh, Jesus, come back before November 6th. Come back before the end of the week, before the end of the month. Jesus, come. this is a mess. Just as I want you to know, 
right in the middle of a crooked and diverse generation in a dark world, you shine because you are this world's hope. When you're raising kids, you come to the point when you feel you prepare them to go out and they're old. And you may feel sooner than they do. You may feel later than they do. But at some point, you know they're ready. And you not only pray they'll do well, you expect they'll do well. In a book called Rite of Passage, it talks about preparing our kids. The Jewish nation does it right, I think better than most other cultures in the world. In a bar mitzvah, when they take that 13-year-old and say, now I've invested everything I can in you, and and now you're a man. You're a woman of God. I want to send you out. I've prepared you. I have protected you as much as I could, but more importantly, I've prepared you. And what he says in that book, Rite of Passage, is so often we protect and pamper instead of prepare. Paul is calling the Philippians to maturity, to live up to their potential. I've invested everything in you I've got. I'm in jail because of what I believe is true. I'm praying, I'm pleading with you, live up to your potential. Because you have it. You have it. The phrase conduct yourselves in that section of scripture is a little bit unique to the Philippian church in, in this context. They enjoyed being associated with Rome. They were Roman citizens, and and they liked that. Paul pulls from that context, the context, I'm I'm proud to be a Roman citizen, like some of us would say, or hopefully all of us would say, I'm proud to be a citizen of the United States. And he said, I want you to use that same mindset to remember that you are citizens of God's kingdom. You're not just citizens of Rome. You are citizens of God's kingdom. That makes you different. Than anybody else. These Philippians adopted as much of the Roman culture as they could. They, they were proud of the fact that they were like Rome. They understood that. Paul wanted them to be more proud of being carriers of the gospel of Christ, of being citizens of heaven. He wanted them to be thrilled about their opportunity to do that in the middle of this dark Roman culture. I want you to be thrilled about the fact, not that you're a Roman citizen, but that you are a citizen of heaven. And in the middle of all of that, you get to influence them in a positive way. You and I are citizens, maybe citizens of Butler or Butler County, citizens of Pennsylvania, citizens of the United States of America by geography. But as believers, our greater allegiance ought to be the fact that we're citizens of God's kingdom and we get to represent him everywhere we go. We're citizens of the United States or Butler County, most of us I'm sure are. By geography, but as believers in Christ, we are citizens of God's kingdom and we represent Him everywhere we go. Christian means little Christ, imitator of Jesus. I represent Him everywhere I go. (coughs) Now, if you feel the weight of having to live up to that and the responsibility, I've got to be a good Christian, if you feel the weight of that, then maybe you missed or forgotten the joy of that initial relationship with Jesus that makes you want to represent him everywhere you go. I wanted Dave to sing that song, I Got Saved, because it sets up a lot of the book of Philippians, especially in a couple of chapters. In chapter 3, when Paul said, man, I, I, I had it all, I had nothing. But I'm telling you, I got Jesus. Who could want more? But essentially, it fits here as well. When I recognize the fact that Jesus rescued me and redeemed me and set me free and calls me his son or daughter, 
And I can sing that and say that this morning. I am a child of God. I love the fact that my kids can say I'm a child of Denny and Connie, but I'm a child of God. It doesn't get any better than that. And I, I get to represent him everywhere I go. You've heard me use the analogy of the Olympics on a hundred different occasions because it fits in so many contexts. But every time that individual is finally chosen to carry the flag of their nation, there's incredible pride. They love wearing the colors of their nation, whatever that may be. And they love to be the ones that carry that flag. Out of all the ones that represent their nation, I'm the one that gets to carry this flag in that Olympic stadium. I, and everywhere I go, I represent this country. And no matter what I'm in, no matter whether I win or lose, however far I get or however fast I run or how I climb or whatever I'm doing, I get to represent the country that sent me here. Some of them have hundreds, some of them have three. But they love the fact that they get to represent their nation everywhere they go. The Jamaican bobsled team, man, the Jamaican doesn't even make sense. You're in Jamaica, you don't have any snow. They loved the fact that they were representing their country everywhere they went. Paul said, I, I, I want you to feel that. I want you to feel and understand that. And like a great parent, God sees us with so much potential. And he longs for us to live up to who we are in Christ. So he said, I, I want you to live in whatever happens. Verse 27, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whether I come and see you or whether I just hear about you in my absence, I know that you're standing firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. It says the same thing to the, Philipp, to the Ephesians. As a prisoner of God, I, I, I'm begging you. I'm begging you, live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. So how do we live that way? Well, he gives us an answer. Stand firm. Stand firm. He uses it a number of times. It's a picture of a soldier who stands his ground. He knows the enemy is coming after him. He knows the enemy is going to get him. He knows the enemy is coming to defeat him. But he stands his ground. And he's there no matter what. As a believer in Christ, you need to understand the enemy is going to try to make you believe that you cannot make a difference in this crooked and perverse generation. So you might as well end up acting like it. The enemy of your soul is going to convince you and I that we're never going to make... It is so far gone that you're never going to make a difference. So why try? You either end up acting like it or isolating yourself from it because you feel like you can't make a difference. And sad to say, a lot of the research indicates with all the Bible knowledge we have, unfortunately, it doesn't influence our lifestyle. So we end up giving in to go along instead of making a difference. And Paul said, I want you to understand, you have the opportunity to change the environment around you. Notice that he tells them how to do that. Stand firm, stand solid. And then he says, stand together. Stand firm together. Stand in unity. It's incredibly difficult to stand firm in a kingdom lifestyle if we remain isolated from one another, insulated from one another, where we get hung up on things that divide us that really aren't that important. So often churches get hung up and divided over non-essentials of the gospel. Now a lot of them do divide over theological issues. 
but most of them over non-essential issues, sanctuary design, style of worship, leadership styles, program styles. The best way to make a difference as a body of believers, he's saying this to the Philippians and to Community Alliance Church, the best way to make a difference is stand strong together. The worst way, look for what divides us. The best way to stand together, the best way to make a difference is to stand strong together. The worst way is to look at what divides us. Let me tie it into Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, now in light of what I just said, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation does not mean work for your salvation. Sometimes we get confused by that phrase. Work out your salvation does not mean work for your salvation. He already addressed that issue. It is by grace even saved. There's nothing you and I can do to earn salvation. No matter how good you are, how often you come to church, how many times you've been in a pew, how many times you've taught a class, doesn't matter any of that, how good you have been. You are saved by grace. You have been offered the gift of life by God Almighty. You've been sitting, not of yourselves, as a gift from God so that no one can boast and look at what I've done. What it means is work out into the living of your life the salvation that you've already had. You have salvation in Christ, right? You know that theologically from your relationship with Almighty God. Now flesh it out in your lifestyle. That's what he's saying. Right? Work out your salvation. You already know what salvation means. You've been rescued from darkness and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We sang that this morning. Now, now that you understand that, what he's done in your life, I want you to flesh that out in the way you live. You get that? You get the difference? I want you to just live it out. So much so that it's noticeable. Work out the living in your life, the salvation you've already received. Notice he has the phrase with fear and trembling. Fascinating piece on this. You can think, well, I thought in Christ we would have no fear, and that's true. But there's a fear that paralyzes us and a fear that motivates us, right? There's a fear that paralyzes us and a fear that motivates us. Paul is not calling people to be afraid. I really believe he's calling us to fear what causes the, what, to a fear that causes us to rise up and meet the challenge of who we are in Christ. A fear that motivates, even if I'm not sure what it's going to cost me to stand firm, even though I really don't fully understand how to meet this challenge, but because I know the stakes are high and the risk is worth it, I will be what Christ called me to be. That's what he means by work it out, flesh it out in your lifestyle with fear and trembling. Fully understand that no matter what happens, no matter where it co- what it costs me, I want to meet the challenge because the stakes are so high, the risk is worth it. And so I'm going to live out what he called me to be. <laughs> Paul is saying that, For heaven's sakes, in the midst of the world that you're living in, and the fact that you are this world's only hope in Christ, you have the answer to the world's issues. So live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Because your life, my life in Christ, is this world's hope. This is not a scrimmage game. This is the Super Bowl. Paul's saying, my my friends, work out in the living of your life the salvation you already have and do it with a real sense of urgency. That's where the trembling piece comes in. 
a real sense of importance that what you are doing, what we are doing, is worth doing. It is God who is at work in us. It is God that we're working for. It is God that is energizing us. For in verse 13, it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. You're not, you don't have to do this on your own. If I'm this world's hope on my own, the world is toast. I don't have to do this on my own. That's the beauty of what he's saying and all of what he said. Being content in all circumstances, dealing with the uncertainty of life, dealing with life as things don't go as planned. Say, you don't have to do this on your own. It is God who is working in you. So if you surrender yourself to him, fully submit to him, raise your hands and surrender that you sang about this morning. He's doing it through you. You just get to be the vehicle or the vessel that he uses. You don't have to do this on your own. This verse is meant to shake us up or wake us up. In light of the world that we're living in, there's no time to play church, he's saying. The stakes are high. God is at work in us. The God who made the world has taken his residence in us and sent us out into this wicked world to make a difference. Paul is challenging them with a sense of urgency. That's where the the fear and trembling comes in. Look, you can't play the game. The the stakes are too high. It's too important to mess around and act like it doesn't matter. And you'll never make a difference. So that we can become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which we shine like stars in the universe. You may be the only light this world sees in the environment that he has strategically placed you in. If you ever had a chance, I, 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 I go out at night. I know you look up every once in a while and see the stars. And you see the vastness of that if you ever get the chance to see it in an environment where there's not another, a lot of natural light going around it or around it to diffuse it. And you just get to see the stars of the universe and the vastness and the sum of them. And how breathtaking they are. First time I went to Africa without any natural light. 200 miles from any natural light. I was just blown away. Go out west. Go to Montana. Wyoming. Colorado. Wherever you go. Just try to get away from all natural light. And just look up and recognize the vastness of the universe. And how breathtaking it is. And, and Paul uses that imagery and says, look. You know how that takes your breath away when you see that? And how large it is and how magnificent it is that that's how i see the church and i i see the church with that much potential and it it shines and when it shines it can take your breath away so quit grumbling and complaining about stupid things that really don't matter i love the revised version in one of he said don't avoid stupid controversies (laughs) In, not in this verse, in one of the other sections of the scripture. And I, I love the revised version of because really it's a lot of the time they are stupid. Things that divide us. And Paul said, look, when you realize how magnificent that is, don't argue or complain over things that really don't matter for heaven's sake. Get out there and live the truth. Let people see that Jesus really does have the answers to life. And really does make a difference. And that you can shine in the middle of all the darkness. So many times Christians end up yelling at the world and its behavior instead of living out the claims of the gospel and offering this world the only hope they have, which is Jesus. 
the pastor that was rescued that finally came home yesterday was on national news and the opportunity he had to pray over the president, the opportunity he had to share his faith and live out his faith in a dark culture. And he continued to say, I love Christ. I love the opportunity that he gave me. I got to believe that he would feel what Paul feels and understand the seriousness of the situation. This is not a preseason game, man. The stakes are high. We're talking life and eternity here. So whatever happens, we are talking life and eternity here. So whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Stand firm. Don't let the enemy push you around. And the best way to do that is stand together. If you were standing alone by yourself, I could probably push you down. But if you stood as a group and stood solid, there's no way I could move you. Paul's saying, I want you to stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man in the faith for the gospel of Christ without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. As you've always obeyed, continue to flesh it out in your life. And the salvation you already have, let it just come over your lifestyle. For it's not your own, it's God who's at work in you. To act and to will according to his good place. He placed you where you are. In that wicked work environment, in that place that you find yourself, that neighborhood, whatever that may be. He's placed you where you are. So do it without complaining or arguing. Shine in a crooked and diverse generation or depraved generation. And you have the opportunity as you hold out the word of life. It's a heavy challenge. I, I get that. But what's the alternative? What's the alternative? Let the world go. And you know where it's going to go. So the alternative is simple. I stand. And I want to do everything I can to make sure that when people see who we are and who we are, that we're doing the best we can to shine like stars because we have the answer to this world. And to be honest with you, it has no hope but us. Let's pray. God wrote a powerful section of Scripture, and the challenge is overwhelming. To me, as a leader of this congregation, the challenge is overwhelming. Help me not to get hung up on issues that don't matter. Help us not to get hung up on issues that don't matter. Help us to stand firm and solid so when people think about Community Alliance Church, they say, boy, that's where I found life. That's where I know there are answers. That's where I see people who reflect Jesus. That's where you go to church. That's awesome. I knew there was something different about you. Help me figure it out because this world doesn't make sense. May those things be said of us as we flesh this out, not just to say, okay, I, I get it good sermon and then go out unchanged but to really embrace it as an opportunity to give answers to who we are in Christ and the fact that he can change your life forever so use us in every way possible we pray may we be the ones who shine like stars in a dark universe and bring light and hope <clears throat> in the name of Jesus we pray God bless you. <clears throat> I got one more sermon. Have a great day. Next Sunday morning is going to be communion. And 
and you got to believe when Dave and I were talking about the first few verses of Philippians chapter 2, how can you not celebrate communion in light of that? We'll be there next Sunday morning. God bless you. If I can pray for you, let me know.